Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, political scientist Shannon Samper gets dumped from an environmental forum. I'll talk to her about it. Dr. Jeanette Poulin from Addictions Foundation Manitoba on the help available for families of addicts. And my expert, Al Castell from Alpha Technologies, as we discuss VR, virtual reality. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Joining us on the phone, political scientist Shannon Sampert. Shannon, good afternoon. Hi there. How are you doing? Good. So, Shannon, you're you're uh, involved in uh, a situation here, and I want you to kind of explain this to me. Um, I got an email from you yesterday, and so I had uh, our, our reporters here do a bit of digging on this. What happened? You were to be one of three moderators at a forum last night, the Wilderness Committee Forum, as we get ready for the election on Tuesday. You right. were to be you were to be one of the moderators, and what happened? Well, I was to be one of the moderators. I got a phone call yesterday morning from Eric Reeder, one of the uh, organizers, who asked me to step aside um, because they had received a phone call from the campaign manager or one of the campaign workers for Wab Canoe's campaign, and they were told, in essence, that if I was the moderator, that Wab would not show up. And uh, they were concerned because they would, that would leave them with only two of the political leaders there, and they didn't want to have to cancel the event, and uh, so they wanted me to step down. Now, I've got and some... Said, Go ahead, finish, I just, yeah. I just was stunned. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? And, and I said, well, if you ask me to step down, then I will be going to the media. And then they begged me not to because they didn't want me to undermine what they were doing. And I said, no, you know, you've made a decision to drop me at, uh, at the behest of a, of a political party, and now you have to actually... Um, you know, you have to stand for this. You know, you have to you have to be responsible for making that call, and um, and uh, so I, I let the free press know that that was going going on. I let the CBC know it was going on, and I let you know it was going on. Right, and you've written columns for the free press, and you've obviously been on our air, and you've been on radio and TV, and you're going to be part of our election pundit panel on on Tuesday night. I'll be there with you, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, so. Has anything like this ever happened to you before? No, it's it's actually kind of shocking. I I have I, I've written columns for the Free Press. I've written columns for uh, an organization called the Conversation. I have been uh, quite vocal about the fact that uh, feminists within the NDP organization that have spoken about being pro women uh, cannot be pro women if they are. Uh, supporting an individual who still obviously has issues with uh, uh, being a misogynist. And I'm talking about uh, uh, Wab Canoe's background as uh, with his, uh, his domestic partner and also his misogynistic uh, lyrics. And Wab Canoe has said that he has come forward about this, but we all know that in his book he was not truthful about it, and he still has not been very truthful or forthcoming about the fact that his 
previous domestic partner back when he was uh, in, in the university. He had a domestic violence past with her, and he has never talked about the way that he has controlled his anger with women in uh, 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 growing up, uh, forthcoming. So um, I'm the only columnist. Uh, that has ever written about that in any kind of real way, and this is the payback that I'm getting. All right, so let me play uh, something here. Uh, mm-hmm. This is uh, Wab Canoe, one of our reporters here at, at CGOB and Global, asked Wab Canoe if, in fact, there was an ultimatum. Did he threaten to not be there if you were there? Here, here's what he said. I don't think it's accurate. So not accurate, and then he went on to say this. There uh, may have been some conversations about that, but uh, again, the decision is uh, of the organizers as to who they want to uh, host their event. So he says it was up to them. In the end, um, here's what uh, the organization said. Eric Reeder, this was what he said when we talked to him. In the course of running this debate for weeks, organizing it, we've been negotiating with the political parties, trying to put together an environment where the uh, leaders will come in and debate and pass on their ecological and climate views to the Manitoba public. And we've had to make some adjustments to, you know, kind of what our program was going to be. Yeah, we had a tough decision to decide how we were going to ensure that the leaders of the parties were in the room to, you know, to talk about the biodiversity crisis and the climate crisis. So react to what Wab Canoe and Eric Reeder just said. Well, in essence, what they just said is Eric Reeder had to have everybody there. And if I was there, Wab Canoe wasn't going to be there. So Wab Canoe is actually not telling the truth. And Eric Reeder made it very clear that if I was there, um, uh, Wab Canoe was not going to be there. And that's exactly what I was told yesterday morning. So, uh, you know, not only is it not true, um, uh, what Wab Canoe said, uh, Molly McCracken uh, was asked point blank why I wasn't on the, um, on the panel last night. And Molly McCracken, by the way, is an NDP supporter and a member of the CCPA. She took over for me. So she's pro-NDP, and she took over as my moderator. She told an individual that it was because Wab Canoe and I had personality conflicts, which is absolutely outrageous. It's insulting to someone of my, my you know, I'm a, I'm a professional. It's kind of insulting to sort of gaslight it as if I have a personality issue. Um, so obviously uh, there is an issue between Wab Canoe and I, and Wab refuses to actually be on a panel as a result of me being there. So uh, for those people that might say to you, well, listen, it's their forum. Uh, if they decide they don't want Shannon Sampert there, that's uh, within their rights. Why is it more than just an OL situation? Explain why. It, because you feel this is dangerous, right? I think it's a slippery slope. I think let's, let's just reverse this. First of all, uh, the NDP and other parties, rightly so, have been very critical of Brian Pallister refusing to participate in debates. And, and rightly so. I mean, the, 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 the premier should be going to debates. We've, we've talked about reasons why he doesn't. But if they're going to be critical of him not standing in front of journalists and others and taking questions, then they should be also willing to take questions from people who are critical of them. Maybe I am critical of the NDP. I think sometimes I've been critical, but I think I'm also fairly fair. I, as a, as a, I have said that, by the way, Wab Canoe won the, t- the TV leadership debate, just as an aside. But the bottom line is, is if they're going to say that, then Wab Canoe cannot 
turn around and say, I don't want this person because that person is being mean to me. And it's a slippery slope when the political parties make the decision of who they're going to take uh, questions from. And that's just exactly what Harper did in the, uh, in the Parliament Hill uh, when he would not take questions from certain uh, uh, political reporters. Uh, we, we criticized him when he did that. Why does Wab Canoe think he can do that here in Manitoba? So let me ask you something else. And this, there were a couple of conversations uh, around here after this kind of went down yesterday, last night, and now uh, the day after. What is the role of a political scientist? Do, as a political, what's your, uh, your, you are one, so explain to me. You do have to give, uh, are, you, are you required, do you believe to be impartial? Or can you, like, explain to me what, what you do because I'm not so after this I'm <laughs> no, not well, actually, no, but, but Shannon after this I'm not sure what yes. what you my, my role is both as a political scientist as a journalist I do both of them and it's a difficult one to sort of explain uh, and it's a good question that you're asking me because students ask me this all the time and we don't really understand where you stand Dr. Stamford which party do you support and my response is I am critical of all the parties I examine what they are saying and I question everything that they have to say. And so I have been critical of Harper. I have been critical of Trudeau. I have been critical of Selinger. I have been critical of Pallister. I will be critical of Wab Canoe. I dissect what they say. I look at polling questions. I consider what they, uh, what I, I bring questions to people who are in positions of power. That's my job. And I'm a feminist, so I do it through a feminist lens, and that is also my job. And as a political scientist, as an academic, and as a journalist, I ask questions. I'm supposed to be critical. I am not supposed to kowtow to political lines. And the minute that I do that, I become partisan, and I become a political plunky, and I am not about to do that. Well, Shannon, I wanted to make sure I got you on today, and I wanted to get all sides out there so people can can hear it and decide for themselves. But again, I'll just say, uh, end with this. Uh, I'm looking forward to working with you on Tuesday night. Me too. Talk to you then. All right. Uh, Dr. Poulin, good afternoon. Thank you for doing this. Good afternoon. Uh, Dr. Jeanette Poulin is with the Addictions Foundation of Manitoba. And uh, by the way, there's a great story right now at cjob.com. Uh, if you want to go and read it, sort of relating to this, Winnipeg doctors say recent chaos, uh, oh no, sorry, despite meth crisis, more Winnipeg babies are born affected by opioids and other drugs. If you want to go and read that story in um, talking about some of this stuff over the past few days, Dr. Poulin, we wondered about family members that might have somebody in the family who is addicted to meth or or, or some of these other drugs if somebody listening now has somebody in their family like that and they don't know where to turn, what's there for them? Where do they go? Yeah, I love that you bring up um, this topic and this question because I think it's something that we need to talk a little bit more, um, certainly from my experiencing uh, observing families and dealing with families uh, who are supporting those struggling with addictions. It's often where do I turn, what do I do, where do I go, 
I don't know what to do. I don't know about this. And so um, I think it's important to share some of these resources that are available here in Manitoba. So first off, with our Addictions Foundation in Manitoba, we do have the general line that if people are not certain about um, either the specific condition that their um, loved one is suffering from or what specific programs, they can access the ManitobaAddictionHelp.ca or the 1-800 number at one 855 But we have a couple particular programs that I do want to highlight. Sure. One is the Parent Intervention Program, and this is a program that runs, um, it runs over a period of two weeks every month, and it's four-day sessions that are offered for individuals who have a loved one that's suffering from a substance use with a focus on um, uh, the youth population. And then we have our AFM Counseling uh, Program, which offers a one-on-one counseling with families um, who have an individual that is suffering from a substance use disorder. And they also have information sessions that are a little bit more general that talk about kind of awareness, education, how to um, talk and support more on kind of that awareness level. And that happens Monday mornings at 9.15 a.m. Then we have, um, which is kind of newly embedded into our community-based program as of May 2019, which is the AFM Youth Community-Based Program. And what this offers is, uh, in fact, for the lens of youth who have uh, either parents or someone in the family who is suffering um, from a substance use disorder, they have the capacity to be seen um, in an organization, be provided with counseling either one-on-one um, or with their family. And some of these locations uh, where that uh, can be found is the Access Fort Gary, Aiken Street Community Health Centre, Mama Way, Nanadanway, the Centre de Santé St. Boniface, McDonald's Youth Services. Um, and this is a program really where we're really trying to develop that um, uh, that capacity with the local mental health and health services. Also outside of AFM, um, we do have uh, important organizations that are doing a lot of great work. One is the Moms That Stop Harm. Um, that is both on a national and provincial level, and um, they have a website that is uh, literally Moms That Stop Harm and is a great support network for um, families uh, who have either lost or suffering with someone uh, with an active uh, substance use disorder. And then there are the um, organizations such as Al-Anon, Alateen, Gaminon, Family Anon, which all provide um, uh, kind of particular lens based on the substance, so either alcohol, gambling, um, or substance use disorder. And again, there are other organizations outside of AFM, such as the Anxiety Disorders Association for Manitoba, the St. Raphael Recovery and Wellness Centre, the Behavioral Health Foundation, that all offer um, services that have uh, incorporated to some degree some family supports. But the bottom line here is that often it's not just the addict that needs help, it's the family, and and there is help out there for them. That's the answer. Absolutely. We know that the evidence does show that people who, A, um, receive uh, care that have support from their family members definitely fare better. And so if you are a loved one who does have someone suffering from a substance use disorder, please do not underestimate the value that you can contribute to that recovery of that individual. And we also know that um, certainly families families that have been inflicted by trauma, um, uh, whether, you know, in the family unit from the younger stages, that having the involvement 
involvement of the whole family is crucial, not only for that individual, but for the rest of the uh, the family as they move forward in the journey of, journey of recovery. And I imagine it often starts with a family member concerned for that family member that's abusing and using drugs. Absolutely. In our uh, many of our clinics, we often see family members as the first one who reach out um, for that cry of help saying, you know, I have a daughter or a son who's suffering. I don't know what to do. Uh, where do I go? Please help. And so um, often that is, uh, that is the link in. And one big challenge that I would say that we're, we're faced with on a regular basis is that um, Many a times the, the loved one is really ready for help and wants to get help because they see that individual suffering. But the reality is it, it's hard because often that individual has to be ready for help too. And so even helping individuals in that stage when their loved one might not be fully ready for recovery, I think is really important um, to help equip them with things like how do I g- engage in conversations to help move them um, towards uh, being more ready for care? Um, what kind of tools or education can I have to help prevent, for example, an overdose? So, you know, training on a take-home naloxone kit can be something that they can do um, and have uh, ready on hand. Um, and then again, the supports for them uh, uh, while, while they're awaiting too. So um, I think uh, offering the care for family uh, throughout that spectrum, not only just the individual suffering from the substance use disorder, is crucial. And um, certainly the evidence is pointing towards that. I'm right out of time, but I have one more question. Quick answer, if you can, please. Uh, We talk about the meth crisis and how police and others are overwhelmed. Are some of these programs and services that you mentioned at the start, are they seeing more people coming to them looking for help because of the growth in meth, for example? Yes, we're seeing crystal meth certainly being impacted in all our programs, so both with families and individuals. Doctor, thank you very much for this. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Al Costell is here from Alpha Technologies. Uh, Al, before I, I bring you on here, I want to play a little bit of something I played earlier. Our Lauren McNabb from the start, the morning show here on CGOB, went over to Pemita Trail School Division, where in three schools, they are using virtual reality VR to teach the kids, and Lauren tried it out. Take a listen. I've put the headset on. I'm holding the handsets, and now I'm staring into what would obviously be Sort of yours. Oh my gosh, never mind. Now I'm in the ocean. And there's a full fish in front of me. Yeah, there you oh, go. Oh man. So you've met Eddie the whale. This is the whale. Is this a blue whale? Yes. I talked to Lauren. Uh, first of all, Al, good to see you, pal. How are good you? Good to see you, my friend. Yeah. Uh, so I talked to Lauren after she went. She said, that was so much fun. And they kind of had her on a, 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 a big skyscraper, and they said, oh, step off. And she was, I didn't even mm-hmm. want to step off. You've been, you're kind of my tech expert. You're sort of my tech expert guy, my tech expert. <laughs> and um, But you've been doing VR since the 90s, eh? Late 90s, yeah. And I mean, the quality wasn't as good and it wasn't as immersive, but the ability to turn your head and have cameras look and turn, that was absolutely there even back then. And all that's happened is it's just gotten better. Yeah. And the quality has improved incredibly, right? It uh, Quality, but also the technology that senses what you're moving and how you're looking, like the sensitivity. For example... We used to maybe have your head turn left, right, up and down. Now, if you tilt it, it now actually can, you know, so all of these things immerse us more into 
like you said, in the ocean or on a skyscraper. Yeah. So if you could put a percentage on how real it feels, how real does it feel? 80, 85, no, 90 No, I'd say that's a little bit high. Yeah, and okay. again, really depends on how much you want to let yourself get into it. Yeah. I know there's some guys that in games, and, and the limitations right now is you've got something on your head, and it's typically hooked up to a wire. Yeah. So you can't have your freedom of movement like you might, you know, when they get wireless and as we still advance in this technology. But I, I, I'd say we're 50% of kind of mm. fooling you because there's still, there's smell. There's yeah. there's other senses that are not, you've got your hearing and your sight and your feel, but your feel and you're moving your hands, not that responsive feel yeah. that, that you might get, but it's getting pretty good. But I'll bet you they're even working on that, right? The other senses, smell and hearing and I everything mean, else. I mean, you've got Microsoft and everybody's still pushing it. You've got your games, you know, companies that are pushing it. Sony has been pushing it. It's funny because Google, when they brought out their, their simple, you know, $100 that you could put your phone in, there was a video and I was telling the guys at work today, there's a video and I was telling you, I was going to yeah. tell you this story yeah. of going down into the Miami NFL stadium, going down to the field, they had cameras all filming it. So you put this on and you, it took you down the ramps and you went in. And at one point in the video, I know that it takes you by the cheerleaders. So I had the headset on a friend of mine and I just watched him. Sure enough, at the exact moment that I thought, I saw his head turn around and I laughed because I knew he was you so he, immersed. You knew he was I knew what he was checking it out. So, yeah, so it was immersive enough that it actually would do that. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you why we decided to kind of look and see if they were using virtual reality in schools here. And they are, as we just explained. I saw a story out of the U.S. and the headline is classroom field trips with VR become a national trend. So they're taking kids on field trips and they don't even have to leave the school. Hell, I go skiing, as you know, regularly every yeah. year. I'm recording with cameras and some 360 immersive cameras this year that will let me put some goggles on you and you'll be able to come down the hill, but turn your head and look in whatever direction you want. So I'll be able to take you for a ski ride virtually same time next year. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. So what are the other, uh, there have to be business applications here, uh, I mean, tourism, you know, hey, I feel like going to Spain today. Yes. But I think that travel, it's nice to go in a prequel to a vacation. I want to go and see and get a bit of a vantage point and see how it's yeah. going to look. Because traveling there, it's the food, it's the whole experience, you know, mm -hmm. but games, entertainment. Picture being at a bomber game. Picture being at an NFL game, sitting yeah. in the seats that you want and paying a certain price and having that full ability to look and feel like you're there. That, I think, is going to really push it as sports. The entertainment world has already got competing factors in it. When Sony is getting in there, you know that there's some money that, that's yeah. potentially. Google has experimented with it. Mm -hmm. And for classrooms and education, to see the pyramids to literally be able to yeah. see them by putting something on your head and having Boy, a teacher it, guide a class. Right. Makes it way more interesting for oh, the kids, eh? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think more better than reading a book. I mean, I hope we don't lose our ability mm -hmm. to read, but right. absolutely, you can see London. We can go and see, or see it in different times. Yeah. You think of it, it's not just seeing what's real now. It's seeing what might have been then. Go to the dinosaur era. Yeah. So you think of all the things that you can do and learn from, and and we're just touching the tip of the iceberg on this now. Yeah, and yeah. we're working on some interviews on this locally too, but medical applications. I mean, mm -hmm. there are so many ways that this, uh, like for example, I know that some doctors are using uh, virtual reality to uh, treat phobias, for example, mm -hmm. right? I have a fear of snakes, and this gives you the ability to face and deal with your fear of snakes. Mm -hmm. Immersive, immersiveness as a whole. For example, I mean, after I leave here, I have a company retreat where we're going out and we are putting goggles on, but these are hooked and connected wirelessly to cameras on drones. So we are going to go and check out the Lactobani area and the campsites and that and fly around. And 
50% of you feels like you're actually three or 400 feet up in that air. So it is really neat. And that's an augmented reality. Mm-hmm. So that's not a VR. VR is considered to be when it's all created or it's all pictures and that. Yeah. This is one where we're overlaying information over top of real camera views in real yeah. time. And it is very cool. And as you said, late 90s is kind of when you started doing mm-hmm. VR. Now it's at that sort of 50%, if you were to put a number on it, kind of 50% real. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that number is going to grow quickly, right? Because we see with technology, mm-hmm. it, it once it starts to roll, boy, it rolls fast. And now it? it's going to be resolution, and I think we're going to see rooms, immersive rooms, because, again, you've still got something that's on your head. But now let's take it to the Star Trek, where you had the simulator rooms where they were all of a sudden the walls and everything were now representing, and now you can put it, something in the air to smell like it. Now you can make the floor move, so now you can add more levels of immersiveness immersiveness and stimulate five of your senses versus maybe three or four that we have now. Very cool stuff. Al, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. You betcha. Thank you very much, Al. Al Castell joining us, my tech expert from Alpha Technologies. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.